Welcome, everybody, to the Modern Media Mogul Show. And today, we got Steve Campbell on the show. Steve worked as senior copywriter at Boehner Media for the man, Gary Vaynerchuk, the guy that started it for us here at Real Elite. Today, he's CEO of The Ascent, and we're going to dig into his company, The Ascent. But he is near and dear to my heart because... He's the first human being to recognize my amazing writing talent and to feature me on his popular publication on Medium, theascent.pub. And for those of you who can't spell, that is A-S-C-E-N-T, theascent.pub. Now, I'd been published before, Steve, but no random dude had ever reached out to me you know, to, to feature my work. And I, I found a quote. It's one of my favorite quotes now that made me think of this. Maybe you'll like this. And it goes, mediocrity knows nothing higher than itself, but talent instantly recognizes genius. That's from my man, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That's awesome. I subscribe to that, definitely. There you go. Well, today we're going to dig into personal branding, which is one of your expertises, right? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about media, and this is a modern media mogul show, so I really like to dig into where media is, where you think it is, where you are taking it, what platforms you use and why. I really like to dig into some of the nitty gritty for the audience of how you know you are one form versus another, where you've had successes. And of course, we like to stress, I don't know why, What if I'm uh, just a, uh, what's the word, a uh, masochist or something, into the failures as well. <laughs> so, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, man. <laughs> well, Steve... Let's, let's dig into your time at Gary Vaynerchuk's company, VaynerMedia, as senior copywriter. That's all right. Um, so how long did you work there? I worked there almost seven years. Seven years, almost. Wow. <laughs> and you went from Pittsburgh to New York City. And I know that because I watched your show. <laughs> That's right. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I graduated in 2008 from Penn State, and the economy was in the gutter in terms of the job market. And, um, you know, one thing led to another, I ended up discovering social media and personal branding in order to sort of fabricate, you know, manufacture experience on my resume, um, because it was just really difficult to get a job. And once I started spending time in that world, I came across Gary almost immediately, um, read his first book, crush it, watched a lot of his talks on stage. I saw his Ted talk and, um, just really, just really, fell in love with the guy. I mean, a lot of what he was saying was resonating with me even more so than all the other people that I was following at the time. And so, um, I quickly went from, you know, thinking that I wanted to work for some of the biggest consulting companies in the world, you know, a Deloitte or an Accenture or a company like that to, I want to work for Gary Vaynerchuk. And so I began building what I called my social resume. I started really just networking and building an audience on Twitter and LinkedIn, um, I started blogging and writing for different tech blogs um, as a guest poster all the time. And, you know, before long, I was able to reach out and I felt like I had a respectable enough resume to reach out to Gary and his team to see if they were looking to hire any anybody or even bring on an intern because I was that interested in what they were doing. And so, you know, this was 2010 at this point, And I got a, I got a response back that said, thanks, but no thanks. We'll keep your resume on file, but we're actually not looking to hire right now, which is really funny and ironic to me now because ever since I was there, I don't think we ever stopped hiring. And so, (laughs) um, you know, but then I got an email back after they checked out my 
social credentials a little bit more deeply. And, um, I got another email back from Gary's brother, AJ, and he said, um, actually we could use an intern. It would be unpaid, but it would require you to relocate to New York city. And however long you could stay here, we'd love to have you. And so I scrounged up money. I borrowed money from my family and I moved to New York city and worked for VaynerMedia for free for 60 days. And so took a chance, man. What, um, what employee number are you, were you, or are you? So at the end of the 60 days, I met with, you know, Gary and AJ and I said that I love it here and I'd love to stay. They said kind of the same thing and, um, they had made me an offer and I accepted it right there. And, uh, I believe I was employee number 10 at that point. Dang. And now they're at like a million. <laughs> what are they at? Like 800 or something like that? Yeah. They're last I checked, they crossed the 800 threshold and, you know, I don't, I don't think they have any signs of stopping. I think before I left, I had heard Gary say something to the effect that he wanted there to be like 10,000 people there at one point. And so knowing him and how he operates, I'm not surprised and that they continue to grow and I expect them to into the future. So you, you know, we're talking about modern media moguls and you were smart enough to recognize this with, you know, maybe with a little bit of Gary, but also on your own. Cause 2008 is early in this whole world. Like I, I was in college at that time. So I went to college a little bit, I think we're about the same age, but I went a couple years later. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went to school from 2008 to 2011 to University of Colorado. And I remember I was a film production major. So we would kind of put some of our films that we used, you know, our the real stuff because we were filmmakers. I mm-hmm. guess we'll put something on YouTube because that's one way to show yeah. it to people. But we wanted to focus on getting on the big screen. So you were like way ahead of a lot of people with this. Yeah. And that's really just a testament to just how I grew up and like what's in my DNA to borrow Gary terminology. And I've always just been an early adopter of tech. I grew up in a little town called Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where there's not much to do. And so, um, you know, when technology came around, I was always, I was the first one out of my circle to really experiment and tear apart computers and, you know, figure out how, dial-up internet worked and everything from installing Napster when it came around to, you know, discovering eBay. I've just (laughs) always been, I've always been that go-to guy in my group of friends that was always just onto the next thing. And so, you know, when I was in college, Facebook was invented. I became immediately obsessed with that. Just the idea of being able to keep track of my friends from high school, even though they went to different schools at the time was just crazy to me. And then, um, watching Twitter, you know, un, unfold while I was there as well. It just, it became a place that was very easy for me to get into, like sucked into that world once I left and I had nothing but time on my hands in order to sort of build my brand. Yeah. So, okay. So now you go into VaynerMedia, you work with Gary Vaynerchuk or, or for him and you're employee number 10. So I imagine at the beginning you had a little bit more time with him and his brother and you worked your way up to senior copywriter, which means that you were writing a lot and you were overseeing other people at some point too, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny because when I started, obviously there weren't any departments there, let alone, you know, (laughs) different roles like that. So really our bread and butter as a company at the time was community management. And so even right out of the gate as an intern, I became a community manager and I started writing and 
you know, just really just relating to people on a one-on-one basis. Just to be basis. clear, because not everyone knows what a community manager is sometimes. I think it, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? I mean, it's like if I have a company, I hire you and you do all the conversations on Facebook. Yeah, basically. I think back then it was community management was really unheard of. And so we were having a lot of conversations with some of the biggest brands in the world about, you know, the fact that they even needed to have a Facebook page or they needed to be on Twitter. And then once they did have a presence there, they needed to be a part of different conversations, meaning a community manager like me, one of the roles that I would have had was, you know, whichever brand I was working for, I would have searched key terms around the things that they were selling and the things that they cared about. And then you actually engage with and talk to on a one-on-one basis, all the people that are talking about those things. And so the idea was that if we could create as many touch points with their potential audience as possible by sending, you know, at reply tweets and, um, you know, at reply messages on Facebook, then we would ultimately just build their brand awareness through those spaces. Okay. So they hired you to do that kind of thing. And I don't know, can you dig in a little bit or or can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that is an important concept that is part of Gary Vaynerchuk's whole message Mm -hmm. of how the role of media and content production and marketing and PR, all that stuff has fundamentally been like flipped. It's a Copernican revolution or whatever, right? Like, so you were a community manager, you were talking to people one-on-one. That sounds all great and dandy, but what is the purpose of that? Like what was the philosophy behind that and the, the pitches you made to some of the biggest companies or that the company made to some of the biggest companies on the, in the world? Yeah. I mean, the philosophy behind it was genius. I think, um, really at the end of the day, it was, what Gary talks about a lot, which is going deep into your community instead of broad. And so when a lot of people think of social media, they think of broad awareness. They think that, oh, I have 200,000 followers. I can post a message and then 200,000 people will potentially see that message. Um, it, that is true. But what Gary realized very early on that he still knows and a lot of people still don't is that the deeper you go into a community, the more lifetime value you can create. And so as a community manager, my role was really to get to know the community, get to know the people that interacted with the brand and talked about the brand openly in public because world because word of mouth marketing is really that important. And my role was through being able to communicate with those people every day one-on-one, I would take a perfect stranger to a brand and make them an acquaintance. And I would take an acquaintance and make them a friend. And I would take a friend and make them family. And so over months and years, you know, if you extrapolate that out, you're really left with the learning that, you know, a group of a few hundred or a few thousand core believers in your brand and brand ambassadors is much more valuable over time than, you know, just having a large number of followers that may or may not actually care about your brand. Yeah, I love the way you put that. And, you know, I'm skipping ahead. We can go back a little bit, but is this some of what you're doing today? A little bit. I think uh, I've always kind of fallen fallen into the idea that uh, as an entrepreneur, and especially when you're starting out, you need to do things that are unscalable. And I think that community management early on was something that fell under that. And that's something I'm trying to do today with building The Ascent, especially the publication on Medium, where, you know, 
as you said, I reached out to you because you wrote a, an article that I thought was interesting. And, you know, I was a publication that reached out and you were probably happy to hear from me in terms of a publication actually wants to publish my writing. And you weren't alone. I think I reached out to 50 people a day like that. And, um, you know, it was very targeted in terms of I would, I had mechanisms in place to look at and follow a large stream of newly published work. And I would search certain keywords and things like that. And I would hand dig through the pile basically to find like the 50 best ones that I felt really resonated with the audience I was trying to capture. And so I've always been about doing things like that, realizing that if I do 50 or a hundred things or one thing, a hundred or 50 times a day, um, and extrapolate that out over six and 12 months, then you can see enormous results from it. Excellent. So, okay. So community manager, senior copywriter. Um, now was it always the plan to be a writer for you? Absolutely not. I actually, okay. <laughs> uh, I actually wrote a, I wrote an article on medium a little while ago under the writing cooperative about how I hated English in school and, you know, growing up being into technology and all these things, science and math was easily my favorite subjects. And, I really just hated English. I was good at it, but I, it just bored me. And I never really read books. I would always find myself reading tech blogs and business blogs and things like that. Um, and so there came a point when VaynerMedia was expanding that I had to make a decision. Basically, I met with Gary and uh, he, he told me that where the company was headed at that point, which was probably around 2011, um, you know, we were bringing up an account department, an account department where we would have account executives and basically people that would work directly with clients and be client facing. And then we would have a creative department, which would be made up of writers and designers that would work together in tandem to sort of, you know, create the magic and come up with all the, the ideas and basically all the things that you see on a show like Mad Men. <laughs> and so nice. I, I uh, was faced with the decision of, I really loved being client facing, even as a community manager back then I was, which is pretty unheard of now. Like a lot of companies, they look at the community manager as like the 20 year old out of, out of school who is like just one step above an intern. And <laughs> I, yeah. I, one of the things I loved about Gary and AJ was that they believed that if you were a body that was showing up to work every day and you're coming in, then you were going, you're not going to be just spending your time getting people coffee. You were going to have responsibilities. And so, you know, I, I did love that role in terms of being client facing, um, learning those business skills from the account team. And so I was faced with the decision of, do I give that side of things up or do I want to give up the creating content and the creativity lens? And I learned that, or I realized that creativity was much more important to me. And so I uh, made the decision to sort of join the creative team that way and just grew up within that. And over time, I've written so much for so many different brands and people that I've really le learned to appreciate it. And I've <laughs> since been writing a lot myself, even in my spare time. Yeah. And okay, so now we get into let's uh, The Ascent. Now, did you start this while you were working at VaynerMedia? I did. Okay. So you're working at VaynerMedia, you start this publication. Um, so what, you know, sparked you to even start this thing as a publication and to get involved in medium and yeah. Yeah. That. So my, I had, a, I wore a number of different hats at Vayner. Um, many of them were in the creative department, but I had something like seven or eight different titles in the six or seven years that I was there. And, you know, the, <laughs> that world moved so fast and I worked on dozens of different brands and different 
departments and accounts and things like that. But my last six months at the company, I was working in a newly created division called Vayner Talent. And so what Vayner Talent did was they took the um, the process and the system of Gary's content team and how he's able to create as much content and be in as many places as he is. And they took the results of that, which were hugely successful, and they turned it into a case study and they started this new department and started pitching people and turned it into a side business. And so, hmm. you know, what that was, was it was approaching CEOs and business leaders and people who, you know, had every right to be a thought leader in their space, but just didn't have the audience or didn't have the know-how in terms of marketing in order to get there. And so we started working with them as our clients. And so I, I transitioned from working with fortune 500 companies and, and, you know, world recognized logos to, um, people that should have been household names, but weren't, um, you know, CEOs of very popular companies, but you know, faces that you wouldn't recognize. And so in doing that, that's where I really came back to the idea of personal branding. And I fell in love with it all over again, just like it was 2008 again. And so, um, I decided that in my spare time after hours at work, mostly I was going to start documenting my journey, um, as Gary put it, and just really just try to create a side hustle of some kind or a side business and really just document every step of the way. And so I started the ascent and that was going to be my personal blog and um, my idea originally was to write there every single day, but just with how busy I was with work and, you know, outside of work, even um, that quickly fell through and it ended up becoming more of something like once every week. And what I decided to do in between was to curate, I turned it into a publication and I started curating articles from other people that were already putting them out there just to see if I could build a collection of like-minded people on the ascent and then just make it a destination for people to learn from each other. Okay. So one of Gary's things is the document don't create, which is supposed to take pressure off of people who aren't quite sure what they want to do, but they have an inclination of something. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, let me just document this process of whatever it is I'm doing. So for you, it was writing about your ascent correct? Or your journey? Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea is I always wanted to be an entrepreneur at at my core. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was really just getting back to that in terms of, can I build something in my spare time that eventually can become my full-time thing and that I could eventually live off of? And so that's the dream and it still is. And, um, now I'm Well, I'm going to say, I was going to say, I'm all about the ascent and the journey, but I'm curious for you now. So you documented and you didn't create it first, but you've been doing this for a little while. So what is your, um, what are your New York jets? What is, what is your end game? Do you have one or like a, a lofty goal, the peak of your mountain? Yeah, that's a great question. And I get asked that a lot and it's something honestly that I'm still trying to figure out because I've thought about it and I don't have a New York Jets style goal. Like I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but I don't, I doubt I'll ever be able to (laughs) afford them or, or that they'd ever be up for sale. But, um, you know, for me, I've always told people that really my end goal is I just want to leave my mark on the world and I want to leave some kind of impact. And I know that that's very broad and very vague in a lot of ways. And I think that that's okay for me right now, because right now I just look at it as a North star in terms of progress. And as I get closer 
and as I spend more time thinking about it, I'd like to think that I'll narrow that down to a few choice things that I would like to see happen in the world. But I think that especially you see it now in social where everybody's onto this game and everybody's trying to amass a huge following and be an influencer and all these things that is just really difficult and, and really challenging to get there. And the fact that you could even leave a mark on the world at all at this point is pretty extraordinary. And so I'm just trying to create content every day and be in as many places as possible. And in the hopes that I can help a few people here and there and, that's how I plan on leaving my mark. And I think that's something that Gary inherently has done over his career is just really touched a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And he always used to say that, um, you know, his goal in life is to have the most people at his funeral. And so that's kind of, that's kind of a, a thing that I've always admired. And that's something that I kind of am chasing as well. And so I figure that while I'm chasing that and my goal can be broad for now, but I think as I start to, see these things come into place and, and, you know, see where my place is in the world and what I'm actually chasing, um, that'll start to become more clear. Yeah. And if, you know, if you focus on making a mark on one person at a time, that is a good end goal for the Mm -hmm. short term, right? As you're, you know, maybe I don't think everyone needs to have a New York Jets. I don't have a New York Jets. I have a, my own version of that, but not that, nothing that big, of course. Uh, it's not, that doesn't even interest me, but I, I do love the funeral thing as well because I remember I was I think seventeen or eight. I was pretty young. I was a teenager, and I read Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and one of the exercises in there is to you know you're walking down this. He does this whole build up. You're walking down this hallway. There's people you know in suits and you know nice black dresses, and you go up to this casket and you look down and it's you, and then three people are going to say a eulogy about you, someone from work, someone from your friends and someone from your, oh, four people, someone from your family and someone from your community. Mm -hmm. And the exercise is to write down what they will say. And then the idea is then that's like, okay, well, this is the goal. This is what I wish people will say about me. Now work toward that. So um, I really love the funeral exercise because life is limited and we're not going to be here forever. So that's a good, you know, if, if Gary never gets the New York Jets, I think he's still going to have a lot of people at his funeral, as will you, but you have a long ways to go for that anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's a, it's a long journey for sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so The Ascent, you're writing a lot. You chose to go down the creative, ri- the creative route. That's really shaped your life. Now you have The Ascent. Um, and so writing is what you mainly do at this point. Yes, that's your main media or that's, you know, in terms of modern media moguls, that's your main form of media of written audio video form. That's that's number one for you. Yeah, basically, because I've been I've seen the most success there. Um, I was able to grow the Ascent publication Uh, before I left VaynerMedia. I was I I had it around twenty five thousand followers on Medium uh, and it was in the top one hundred. I think now we're closing in on thirty seven thousand. And so it's been growing and I've been contributing a lot of work there and I've been contributing to a lot of other publications as well. And I feel like I've really come into my voice in terms of my writing and I've really hit a stride in a lot of ways. And so even just recently within the last few weeks, I feel like the last few articles that I've been putting out there have really just hit on all the things that I want them to hit on and have just really taken off in a lot of ways. And I've been able to grow my following that way. And so I love 
social media in general, and I love uh, playing in this space. And so, you know, about a year ago, I worked up the courage to start uh, appearing on camera and making my own videos and things like that. And and I've recently started my own podcast. And so I'm diving into these other worlds too. But writing's sort of always been my bread and butter at this point. Well, yeah. So the uh, my question is the ascent. Is it a, a is the company a blog or is it um, something else? Like, where's mm-hmm. the revenue coming from? Let's put it that way. Well, not many places right now. But uh, what's funny is, so I, I left my job to move out to, to Denver, Colorado, um, just to be with the person I love. And, um, and to I be didn't in really... Denver, this is freaking the best place in the world, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but if she were in Hong Kong, I would have moved to Hong Kong. Oh. Like, that's... That's kind of oh, what happened. Okay. And, uh, You're <laughs> a sweetheart. All right. I love it. Man. I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a romantic too. I, I, um, romantic comedy is all the way, brother. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go no, I'm, I'm, I'm not you. afraid. I'm not afraid to own it. So <laughs> I, I love Good my girlfriend, <laughs> but, um, Oh man, what a, what a fool. Love your girlfriend. That's right. <laughs> Got it. Cool, man. But yeah, okay, I mean, moved to Denver. I came out here and I, I did a, a, a little bit of an inventory on myself and I said, okay, what do I have that I can build from? I have all this knowledge that I gained from working from an incredible guy like Gary Vee and working in an incredible place surrounded by incredible people like VaynerMedia. And, you know, I had that going for me. And then the other thing I had going for me was my publication on Medium. And so I recognized the value in having a engaging community. And so I figured that I originally came out with the idea of, I want to find a way to build a business on top of this publication. The problem with that is medium really dictates everything. And so medium, as they've shifted their business model and as they've, you know, prioritized different things over the last year, um, you know, it's very difficult to build something right on top of that because I'm really restricted by what they allow me to do. Like, it's not like creating my own website where, I can really do whatever I want to the page. Um, it really just functions in a very specific way. And so yeah. I sort of have since pivoted in terms of, um, well, actually I, I went through a first, a first pivot about six months ago where I figured that the business I was going to build on top of that community was a personal brand consulting business. And so uh, Melissa, my girlfriend, was my partner and the two of us just started leveraging what we knew and started creating different assets and using that as carrots dangling out for, to try and gain clients. And then also promoting it to our community, the ascent, knowing that these are people that very much subscribe to the type of stuff that we talk about and are experts in. And so we got our first handful of clients, uh, and just worked with them closely as on a personal brand consulting basis, helping them with their businesses. And it went really well and we brought in some revenue, but I think right when we got to the point where we could have expanded it and really just tried to blow it out of the water, we looked at each other and we, we asked, are you happy doing this? And we just weren't. I think mm-hmm. one thing that we realized was that we were quickly moving to a place where we were building an agency and I had just left a, a very good one and I had no uh, means of, you know, I, I have no aspirations of competing with a VaynerMedia. And so <laughs> knowing that that's not what my goal was and that I wasn't happy doing it, I basically decided to stop doing it right then and there. And so what I did since is, and what I'm doing now is I pivoted the Ascent business to be more of a product-based company and more of a software-based company. And so I look look at the Ascent business as 
you know, a company that's going to create platforms and create resources and create products for people that aspire to build meaningful personal brands and aspire to create great things. Um, and that feels a lot more right for me, even though that as a business, it's a little bit outside of my comfort zone and it's a little bit outside of my area of expertise compared to building an agency, which I feel like I could do pretty easily. It seems like it goes back to your roots a little bit more though, right? Yeah. Like I spent a lot of time when I was building the personal brand consulting business on the phone and being my own salesman and like pitching the things that I was creating as I was creating them and doing all those things. And I just wasn't happy doing it. And I am much happier staying up till two or three in the morning, trying to build a platform or an ebook or a product that I could, I then know how to sell based on all the marketing expertise I've acquired over the years. And so I'm sort of heading down that route now. And, um, Melissa has taken a step back from the ascent and joined a startup downtown here in Denver, which has really um, been great for a lot of reasons. I, I think it's it's going to be great for her career, and it's going to be great in terms of providing a little bit of air cover for me while I try and figure this thing out with the ascent. But um, we have a great working relationship around that, and you know we're looking forward to sort of building this thing in the long term. And that's really just focusing on what we're good at and what we enjoy. That's awesome. So one of the things I'm hearing is. Um... You made me think of P.T. Barnum at the beginning there. And then you made me think of uh, like a quote from P.T. Barnum and then a, uh, another quote from Gary and then um, something new here we'll talk about. So the, the P.T. Barnum one is that you created Medium publication that's now has a pretty decent audience. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one of the things that P.T. Barnum would say is that every crowd has a silver lining. And so... You know, the idea there is that if you can get an audience, you can figure out how to get some coins from those people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no matter what it is. Now, so you tried one form, and this is where I think about a Gary Vaynerchuk thing, which is why you should, not even just a Gary Vaynerchuk thing, just a, um, things I've heard in general. You try things to figure out what you like and dislike. And sometimes, you know, it's it's looked at as a, you know, a step back, but it's really not a step back because you can't know until you do it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's part of what we're all trying to grow. So you tried to do, or you did do this brand thing, but you found out that you weren't happy. And I've definitely, definitely been there. I mean, uh, when I met you, uh, when you found me, that was actually, you found my work, that was what I called a book tale. And I was trying to create a, uh, like a, a business book summary company. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took a different twist where I was like, you know, I love stories. I want my fiction writing has been my goal since I was a teenager. It's still my goal. So I love to find the stories wherever I can. So I took all, all the stuff I had with stories and I tried, but it just didn't work out, right? For whatever reason, like you know, I, I, I realized to compete with the people I would need to compete with, I would have to you know, read like 10 books a day. And I read a lot, but I can't, you know, they're, they're putting out like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. It's like, all right, this is just crazy. So <laughs> I, I pivoted as well and I really, you know, evolved it into uh, kind of what Real Elite is today. I, I partnered with my business partner, Marco Romero, uh, who's a badass real estate investor here in San Antonio. And on the side, he started doing some videos. And so I kind of worked with him. And now we've grown this sucker. Uh, last year, we did 600 videos. But it, it was only because we pivoted. And we pivoted like a, a year and a half ago or something like that. So it was a, it was a while back. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think you were still at VaynerMedia at that time, actually, mm-hmm. uh, I believe. So, you know, it's there's the silver lining message, which I think is really important for everyone to understand, is that no matter what, even if you pivot, if you change, you know, let's say you're an established uh, business owner and you, you know, you make clothes or something. I just met somebody who makes men. She's like one of the biggest um, makers in San Antonio of custom men's shirts. She has like a 50,000 square foot factory. So let's say you do that type of work. Well, building your brand, your, your platform like Steve did, like you did, Steve, is very effective even if in the short term you change what you're going to do, right? Like even if you're not going to be a branding expert in the short term or branding consultant, you're going to switch to, you said, developing software like apps. Is that right? Right. Platforms. Yeah. But either way, the having like building and spending all that time building that 37,000 people on Medium is freaking amazing. And that is the currency. Right. Absolutely. And I've met countless people through my work with Medium that have become friends and people that have been podcast guests of mine and people that have continued to contribute great pieces of work to the ascent. It's just having that community and having that audience and realizing how valuable it is has really enabled me to have the time that I've taken in order to, um, sort of figure out what I'm doing. And I think that, you know, getting back to what you even just touched on, it's, there's a reason that I became a, an entrepreneur at age 31 and not at age 21. And that's because when I was 21, I was much too, I was way too much of a planner and now I'm much more of a doer. And so, like you said, um, you know, I, I don't regret anything that I did in terms of the personal brand consulting business. What the way I look at it is like Thomas Edison said, you know, I didn't, I didn't fail 3000 times to make the light bulb. I just found 3000 times, like 3000 ways to not do it. And so you can actually learn a lot and figure out what you want to be doing just by diving into something, realizing it's the wrong path for you and then quickly pivoting. And that's something that wasn't a piece of knowledge that I had when I was younger. And it's something that I have now. And, um, you know, I look at it now as just something great, that I'm, I'm glad that I'm self-aware enough in order to realize that. Otherwise I would be giving up after the first, you know, failure and just not even trying again. Instead, I learned from it and I realized, okay, I know that I don't want to build this type of business. What other types of businesses are there out there? Let's try another one. Yes. And so writing was the big thing. And then you also do audio and video. And I want to kind of touch on this for the last part of this. Um, touching on like what you, you know, let me just put it this way. I I think that a lot is changing in the media world and that's an obvious thing to say, but it's not clear exactly what is changing, but we're starting to see um, the crumblings of the old, the old world, right? We're starting to see, uh, I just like took some pictures Google Fiber is in San Antonio of all places. And so mm-hmm. I have people and I'm looking at their internet speeds and it's like 1000 megabytes per second upload, like 700. It's like, this is insane. So w- what that seems to mean. And then on the, on the, at the same time, we all have these tools 
an, an iPhone or an Android, which is a radio, a newspaper, or a t- and a TV in one product. And you know you have companies like Netflix coming, and then you have Facebook doing Facebook Watch. You have Medium, but then you have big mega media corporations like Vox or whatever that are starting to get bigger. Um, and it's just like everything's like all crazy. Now, what you did, I think that was amazing, is that you focused on your core talent or or a core skill that you had developed, which was writing. And I, I imagine you enjoyed it and you built that to build an audience. And I'm just trying to get to, we're at an early stage of this intense, chaotic flux of what's happening, mm-hmm. right? I give the, the example of, if you look at the film motion picture business from 1895 to 1939, it's pretty much unparalleled how exactly it is to what's going on with the internet today with you, you know, 1995, 1895 was the first motion picture projection. And then by 1914, you have the first, you know, major film studio, just like you're starting to get major media production companies now in 1914, 1918 or 2014, 2018 era. And, but that's just the beginning. Like we're still, figuring out like if Facebook's going to be around in five, 10 years, like who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. it's a pretty big company. It's pretty unlikely, but it, who, you never know. Something could pop up and, and take over, or, you know, some alternative. So how Steve, how does Steve with the ascent on his crazy journey, how do you navigate through all of this flux? Right. Mm-hmm. Like in, Cause in uh, 20 years, this is going to be established. Right, this will be fixed. Right now, it's the world is not fixed, and that's one of the difficulties, but one of the opportunities. So, how do you look at that flux? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I'm I'm huge. I'm a huge believer in creating content. Obviously, I think that anybody who has thoughts and wants to be a thought leader or feels like that they can build a brand around what is inside of their head has the platforms and has the ability to put that message out there in as many ways as possible. And I think that we're living through a world right now that, you know, where the media landscape, I agree, is changing. I think that there are a lot of people consuming different things out there. And I think that there's a lot of opportunity to reach your audience in many different places. And so I'm a big believer in recognizing what is really garnering attention and then just immediately attacking it even before you're ready. And so, you know, it's putting a vlog out there. It's putting a podcast out there, realizing that podcasts are trending right now and everybody's listening to them in their spare time. And, you know, these attention shifts all over the place all the time. But I think what's different now from what was around before was before, you know, if you're going to create a commercial, for instance, you know, you needed a team of people, you needed a budget in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and you needed days to shoot it, and you needed all this high-tech equipment. But I think what you're realizing with social media and a lot of these platforms is that there are plenty of people that are gaining millions of views and millions of followers just creating stuff using the phone that everyone has in their pocket. And so me realizing that early on and realizing that the world was shifting to a place where anybody can become a creator and anybody in all the barriers to entry are being lowered dramatically. Um, there was no reason for me not to dive into these other areas and at least experiment. And you never know when you strike a chord with this particular audience or you get good at it that, you know, it could change your life. And I think for me, what it was 
that also pushed me into, you know, the space that I'm at now was sitting in VaynerMedia and watching, you know, 14 year old after 14 year old walk in the office and be, <laughs> be on Gary Vee's show or, yeah. you know, work with a brand and do some sort of influence or marketing. I think, um, we had, we had a girl come in one time that was just a 14 year old who got famous on musically, which is an app that a lot of people still don't know about, which is an app where people could basically make music videos and lip sync to different songs. And <laughs> there's something like a million people on that platform that have over a million followers. And there's, once you wow, reach that, really? once you reach that, yeah, jeez, I think I, musically, I, I know music- Gary's been talking about that, but geez, I thought it was still, I'm still old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was over a year ago when I was in the office and musically sent representatives in to talk to us. And I'm almost positive that they said that their top million users on their platform have a million followers. And so, you know, that's, that's amazing. Like if you gain a hundred thousand followers on Instagram today, you could make a comfortable living if you know how to spin it. And if you have something to sell those people and, you know, so the opportunities there. And so I have always looked at creating content as, you know, every day that I'm not creating something is a day that a bunch of other people who did start creating that day is a, they're all a day ahead of me. And so I look at it as even though I'm going to learn on the fly and sort of fix the plane while I'm flying it, um, you know, it's to my benefit to get started early because then I'll become the expert at it. And then people will want to listen to me because I'll be able to teach them about how to do the things that they could have learned on their own. So I wanted to, for, for the people I work with, I wanted to push back a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, you know, I work with people who have established businesses and the, the problem they always have is, you know, they're not Gary Vaynerchuk. Right, so they don't have either a content team. Um, now they do, for instance, hire us to help us with the content team, but you know, to, to help uh, expand their content reach, you know, to have like a a, a D Rock essentially come in. Mm-hmm. So, but my question is, what you just said is, you know, whenever there's content anywhere that someone could be doing or, or that you could be doing, you will go do it, right? Now, from um, a business owner who's been doing, you know, I have one of my clients who's one of the top real estate flippers in San Antonio. He's flipped over a thousand houses and he's super busy with that, right? Like that's a, an involved business with contractors, um, you know, where he's, he's going out with salespeople. He's, he's also selling the house to other people. He's finding the houses to, to do this with. He has to deal with them, the private money lenders. And he does videos, but he can't do also a podcast and an article and a blog and, and things like that. And um, so I'm just curious, like, I, that's always a pushback and that's always a challenge. So what do you say or, or how do you feel about that kind of idea or pushback? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think... Um... Usually what I run into is there's two ways to go about it. You can either, if you want to put out the level of content to really be successful and be active in a lot of different channels, which I would recommend because I'm a big believer that if you're going to have a presence somewhere, then you should try your best to try and post there every day. Otherwise you're kind of wasting your time. Um, But the two ways to go about it are to either hire a team, which there's a lot of people who can't afford to hire a team at the level that Gary has right now around him. 
Um, or you could just get really smart and really efficient with how you're going about your creation. And so that's the second one is obviously what I subscribe to. I'm sort of like the one man content creation team for myself. And the, the reason I'm able to create as much content in as many different places as I am is because of a lot of the tactics that I picked up from a VaynerMedia where, you know, I've learned early on that the, the way to be most efficient about it is to think about what your core message is and who your core audience is and where they spend their time so that you can sort of frame up in your mind, what are the platforms and what are the mediums that I need to be prioritizing if I actually want to hit those people. And then you need to think about what is one or two pieces, like key pieces of content that I can create that could then become a series and what we call pillar content that um, is evergreen and would really check all the boxes in terms of what your audience is trying to understand and learn from you and how you can bring them value. Um, and then once you create those those things, whether that's a show on YouTube or a podcast or an article series, something that has some real meat to it and you know is has a lot of information involved, you can really be active in a lot of other places simply by repurposing that and cutting it up into smaller bite-sized pieces. And so. I would always talk to people and friends of mine who, for instance, were musicians and they said, you know, they would come to me and say, Steve, how can I get more people to listen to my my music? And I would say, okay, well, you're probably doing the obvious things. Like you probably have a SoundCloud page and you probably are trying to get on Spotify and you're doing things like that. But what's stopping you from taking little clips of your music and making videos to post on an Instagram and that's like not something that a lot of people that are musicians would really think about. They would think about using Instagram in the same way that everyone else does, where they would just post photos there and, you know, try to connect with people that way. But at the end of the day, there's definitely a cult like Instagram's big enough that there's everybody on there, every type of community. And so to really reach the people that are interested in music on there, you can give them a little taste of your music and you can use all the hashtags and take advantage of the features of that platform. And then you can link in your bio to your SoundCloud page or your Spotify and drive traffic that way. And so yeah. I'm a big I'm a big believer of I'm a big believer in creating something of high value and putting some real time into it, and then putting it into a few places, and then figuring out how can I spin that and put it in different other places to try and build an audience there. And then you know track what you're doing and then adapt your strategy and then just go at it again. And so it, it, it takes one person like my, myself and it makes me have the ability or, you know, it makes me look like I'm able to be a one man content army. (laughs) Well, and and just, um, something about that music one tip that you just gave. I, for one of our videos, um, for one of our clients, so we have a client, Elijah I. Rubin. Shout out to Elijah. I know you're probably listening. He is uh, a badass uh, wholesale real estate investor in Arizona. And he does a show called Consistently Closing, where he actually has a phone up while he's doing negotiations. And it's crazy. He once closed a $26,000 deal on the phone. Um, but Anyway, so he does this show and he hired us to do some of his videos and editing. And so we look, he said, oh, I really want this song. And we found that the guy was like a, a, a newbie, you know, creator. And what he had done was, uh, as the musician, he said, just give me a, a minimum of a dollar donation on my Patreon. And then when you post the video or the, the music, make sure you put in your post music by and a link to my SoundCloud. 
And that was it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was genius. You know, it was great. And we loved the song and we're going to donate the dollar. Sorry, that's all we're going to do. It's not my money. And then, um, you know, we're going to put it on the, the, the beginning of the show. And his show gets thousands of views in, you know, the, the real estate world. And so, you know, there you go. Now your song mm-hmm. is out there. So that, that, that's kind of, that's kind of a sidetrack, but I just, that happened to like me today. So I thought I'd say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so everything else you're saying, so I wanted it, I know we're running a little bit long. Do you have a couple minutes? I wanted to do try to ask you a question about a, a case study of a potential client I might work with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, let's go through this. So, um, you know, because I, I hear what you're saying about creating content. You and me are more, you and I are more content creators, though. We're more pure content creators. Now, you're doing the app and you have the side business, but the truth is that that's more of what we do, mm-hmm. right? So it's... To someone who, for instance, doesn't care that much about content, and it's to them, it is just a tactic to grow the business. And you know, they could be making millions of dollars, and but they are just wanting to grow a little bit or to get their name out there a little bit more, and they don't want to be spending a lot of time writing. And one example I have, I, I just met a wonderful uh, lady at a Rotary Club of all places. I was invited to give a talk on media, uh, and I you know, there's these somewhat older people there and they were very nice and not, you know, one guy was complaining about his smartphone the whole time. And I was like, mm-hmm. I got a tough audience with you guys. Like, you know, 60 to, to 70 year olds. But, uh, but this, this young lady was not, and she owns a company called Dos Carolinas, which um, sells tens of thousands of custom made shirts in San Antonio and throughout the country. But it's uh, here in San Antonio, they have several shops and, you know, she does, she has a social media person and they do some stuff and we were talking about it, but she doesn't want, she doesn't care herself. She loves the making of the shirts. She loves talking to men about shirts and fashion. I mean, she mm-hmm. talked my ear off. She's like, your shirt sucks. Take it off. Okay. Don't take it off, but that's a horrible shirt. You need to have something else. Like, thank you. I need fashion tips. And so we were, we were you know, chatting it up and, um, I, I didn't know how to, I felt like there was a lot that she could be doing, even if it wasn't so much her. Like she's been on the news. She's been on, you know, TV shows here and there, local shows featuring her custom shirts. And she has a really cool factory here. Um, I'm a big advocate, Steve, of shows now. Like I've, I've definitely moved from doing these one-off little videos to like interview shows to doing you know, I, I'm going to start doing more shows for, you know, the real estate people. So I just wanted to get your two cents on, you know, I'm going to be talking to this, this lady, Caroline, um, and hopefully she won't listen to this podcast. Maybe she will. And, and, <laughs> uh, so she doesn't hear me strategizing, getting free information from Steve Campbell. Mm-hmm. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, she doesn't want to be spending any of her own time really, but she's the the face of this thing. She'll spend like, you know, maybe a little bit of time, but what would you recommend in the media world for her? Yeah, I think with her, if she's comfortable being the face of that thing and, you know, wants to continue to do so, I'm a big believer in being the face of your company or your brand in order to, you know, push the needle. And so I would ask her, what mediums she feels most comfortable communicating in, even if she's not a content creator, does she feel Instagram. more com- She feels really comfortable on Instagram? Well, she has someone who's doing it, and that's where they're definitely doing the best. They have like 3,000 followers, and people like their clothes quite a bit. Mm-hmm. 
But what I mean by that is, does oh, she feel personally? Does she feel comfortable communicating via the via the written word, via audio, or via video? I, I so just to give you information, so you can go off of maybe she she doesn't seem to mind video interviews. She doesn't. She's not going to write. She's not going to do any of that stuff herself, mm-hmm. right? So, what do you think of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, a lot of like the way that a lot of people write books anymore is they just speak them and record it, and then somebody else transcribes it and writes it. Like, I think that there's a lot to be done in that vein. If she's really passionate about something like that, I think that you can get involved on different platforms. Like, I think that Cora could be an interesting place. Um, oh, that's interesting. Talk about that a little bit. Not yeah, everyone knows so Cora. I love I it. Cora is a Q and A platform that's been around for a while, and it is. Uh, the kind of place where if you really put in some effort and answer a lot of questions there and you give really thoughtful answers and, you know, not just like one or two word types of things, um, you can get thousands of views there over time. And what I love about it is it's so evergreen. Like people are constantly coming there and researching the same questions over time. It's very much like SEO driven. And so, um, for instance, I experimented there because I heard good things about it and, Um, I started writing 10 answers a week for a little while. And I think I only did that for three straight weeks and I need to get back into it. But the, I haven't written there since November. And when I visit my profile, I still have all these notifications that say that my answers collectively have garnered 500 to a thousand new views every week since then. Wow. And so I, I've only answered 30 questions on there and I've had 30,000 views total. And so do you know Jordan Peterson? No. Oh, he beat Gary Vaynerchuk for a number one spot for crushing it. Like he crushed Gary Vaynerchuk. But he the his book, Twelve Rules for Life, started as Quora answers. He's a psychologist to, you know, uh, young men who are searching for pro you know, had problems with whatever it was that they're going through, like how to, you know, be better as a human or whatever. So anyway, mm-hmm. you know, it's, he gave these rules for life on Quora as some of his answers to some of them, the best rules went up to the top and then he turned that into a book and it's been like a mega bestseller. Like it's mm-hmm. still number one, like weeks and mm-hmm. weeks later. So anyway. Yeah. I know. I look at Quora and YouTube the same way. Like they're, they're two of the most popular search engines out there in oh, terms that's of interesting creating content that's SEO driven. And yeah. while I haven't, while I haven't found success personally on YouTube yet, my new strategy around it that I'm going to be deploying soon is something I read recently, which is, you know, treat it like the search engine it is use a tool out there to do SEO research around the topics you care about. And so your potential client, if she cares about t-shirts, she could go to a platform like YouTube and Quora and potentially try to own the conversation about t-shirts there. And what I mean by that is Look at all the things that are generating search traffic and where the white space is in terms of SEO and make sure that you're creating one to two minute video clips talking about those different subjects and tagging them properly and getting them discovered that way. Wait, how do you do that? I'm going to take notes. How do you find the white space around something like that on YouTube? So there's a tool called TubeBuddy that you can get. But yeah. I'm taking notes because I'm going to legit do this right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you can get it for free. I think you install it as a Chrome extension, for instance. And oh, okay. what you can do is when you go to post a video or before you go to post one, you can do keyword research. You can type in something like T-shirt and then it'll give you all these different phrases and things like that. And you can keep searching and figuring out 
um, it'll it'll give you the metrics of search volume and uh, competition. And so you can, if you do enough searching around using a tool like that, you can find some awesome keywords and the white spaces that I was referring to in terms of um, areas and things that you can include in your video that are getting a decent amount of search volume, but there aren't a lot of videos currently serving that space. And so it's just an easier way to sort of get noticed and treating YouTube like the second biggest search engine in the world, like it is. And regarding Quora, I've heard similar tactic in terms of you can have somebody else um, write hundreds of questions for you around t-shirts and just SEO optimize them and, okay, and answer, answer them yourself. Like <laughs> literally the strategy on both platforms. You game in the system, Steve. I see yeah, what you're doing. <laughs> it's literally, you put out hundreds of different videos or answers around these different things, answering everything that anyone who might care about that subject would want to know. And then you own it. And then over time, you'll just get thousands and thousands of views because it'll just act as evergreen answers and content. That's smart. So that's the SEO version. But then the the other style would be she could uh, do a show talking about different fabrics and the, the history of them and what's good about a new style of shirt, you know, men's fashion show, essentially. And maybe she could focus on San Antonio, you know, like sweaters and sweaters. Or something. I don't know. Yeah, like all, all her customers are sweaters. Like we sweat. And by sweater, I mean, we sweat like freaking nuts. Man. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, I'm all the time. Ugh. So that could be her show. She, so she, those two styles. So what you're saying is almost um, maximizing to get your, your brand, your, uh, your name, so people can link or click on, you know, optimize for search engine optimization, which is SEO. And they can, you know, whatever. Like they, 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 they type in um, shirt that doesn't get pit stains. And then they, yep. they can like find, oh, there's, there's a shirt maker here in San Antonio. Great. Um, but the other version, or do you think this is related, is someone who um, is like if, to do like a wine library TV show, which doesn't do, that didn't seem to maximize or try to maximize just for SEO. That didn't seem to be the core function of that show. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Yeah, I think that Gary kind of inherently um, covered off on a lot of SEO without even realizing it probably back then in terms of he had a daily show where he just reviewed different wines. And so having the names of all those different wines and all those different varieties and regions and all those different things inherently gave him a ton of content around the wine space. And he started owning that conversation. And what really gave him the advantage back then when he was doing it was the fact that he was doing it on a platform that no one else in the wine space was really doing back then. And I think that's the key difference because if you're early to a platform, then it's all white space. And so you don't need to deploy tactics to get noticed or things like that on like that systematic or analytical of a level because you were there first. And so you already have that, have that competitive advantage. And so I think that's the difference. Like if you were to restart that show today and he were an unknown, and, you know, we're trying to do it on YouTube, he'd probably need to go about it in a much more strategic way just because mm-hmm. of all the people that are on there now talking about wine and doing the same thing. Do you think it's beneficial to go local, like to focus on the local and try to just, you know, if you're a local business and just get, you know, so make your show local and that's the white mm-hmm. space. Like, is that potential a- white space? 
Absolutely. Especially if you're in a crowded industry, like if you're in like something shirts, like, like fashion, like shirts, yeah, yeah like fa- that's, fashion's a crowded industry. Do that. Like you might not, like you could work for years and it's definitely a much bigger uphill climb to try and become the man or the woman in shirts versus, you know, becoming the man or the woman in shirts in San Antonio. And I think that yeah. you can get there much quicker. And if you become that person, you can build a, it's, it's proof that, you know, you can build a loyal following of any size. There's enough people out there. There's enough people that live in San Antonio that probably care about shirts and that wear shirts that there's a market there for that. And I think that once you get out there and try to be that person, you realize really quickly if there is a market or if there isn't one. Yeah. And so if we like end on the future of media and the future of all this stuff, I don't know what you think about this, but my personal view is that things are going to start, like we're going to, of course, have the mega corporations and you're going to have the mega platforms. You know, if you want to start a media company from scratch, it's going to be pretty challenging because you're going to have to go up against, you know, New York Times or Vox or whoever. Now, you know, I'm seeing things like CRTV if you're a Christian conservative on the right or whatever. And so it's going to be challenging to really compete with some of these people who that's what they've been doing for a profession. There's a network of them. There's, you know, Joe Rogan. Uh, and then there's the Adam Carolla network. So th- I think there's going to be, you're probably going to get some of those getting even bigger and starting whole channels, um, which we already have that. But I think the advantage, this is my view, is that there's going to be a schism, just like there was in television where you get local channels, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so if you can get that local channel, that could, you know, it's like um, Wayne's World. Like they were trying, they were a local channel and they were trying to make it big, but now instead of, you know, making it local is making it big, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. it's almost mm-hmm. like we're in that reverse thing. But I don't know what you thought about that. That's one of my focuses for real elite and what we're creating is trying to, you know, uh, you know, talking to people outside of San Antonio, but focusing on growing within the San Antonio market as like, you know, we're, we're your San Antonio video producers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm a big believer in the idea that everything's a pendulum. And so, you know, you can spend a lot of time sort of chasing the pendulum, whether it's going local or going broad and back and forth over time. I'm much bigger proponent of doing something that you believe in, understanding and reacting to where the market is right now. And even if the pendulum swings the other way, you it's okay. You just need to hunker down and do what you're doing. And make sure that you're well positioned so that when it swings back your way, you can take advantage of it. Oh, I like the pendulum analogy. Great. Thanks. All right, Steve. So last, you know, what is the thing you've learned the most over this journey so far? It's not over, obviously, but hey, you've been here for a little bit. You're not, uh, you know, you're not a, a, what's the word? I guess a novice. You're not a whippersnapper anymore. What have you learned on this journey of yours? Yeah, I, I, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that the journey itself is worth, it's one worth taking. I think that there's a lot of people that think about all the potential downsides of, you know, the stats out there of like four out of five startups fail and all these other things. And for whatever reason, there's a lot of reasons that people just don't ever try and don't ever make that attempt. And I think the biggest thing I've learned in the last year is that even though I haven't been a massive success and I haven't even, you know, brought in as much money as I was making out of VaynerMedia, um, I'm still here and I'm still enjoying what I'm doing every day and I'm learning and I'm getting better. And I think that 
that in itself brings its own career advancements. I feel like I haven't lost any ground at all. If I were to jump back into the space that I left, I would be dramatically further ahead than I would have been if I had just stayed there. And I think that, um, you know, that's going to show if, if I ever do need to jump back into that type of world, which I, I really don't think I will, um, you know, there's always time to get practical. And so I think that a lot of people don't take a chance because they're afraid of what could happen or they're afraid of failure or they're afraid of what they don't know. But I think the biggest thing that I learned is that it's just worth taking that journey and figuring out whether or not it's for you because, uh, the upside is too great. I think whether it takes me a year or five years to strike it big somewhere or come up with the, like the million dollar idea, um, you know, I will not have regretted any time that led up to that. And I think that I'll be all the more happier having gone through the stuff that I have once I've gotten there. Boom. Words of knowledge, Steve. I appreciate it. And remember, you're always the genius who discovered Kirk. Just remember that. You've got, <laughs> you're the genius who saw my talents. I appreciate it. Now you just That's need right. to start a fiction uh, magazine so I can put my fiction up there, man. Otherwise, I'm going to have to freaking do it myself. So thank you for <laughs> all of your, uh, you know, your hard work. And, you know, you've definitely taught me a lot about what I could do. Took some good notes here. I hope everyone listening got some great knowledge. So thank you so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Anytime, my man. Thanks for having me on.